I dare you to find a better show than the Patrick Madrid Show, Andy. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. This is Hour 3, and the number remains the same, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Emails can go to patrick at relevantradio.com. Just had one come in a moment ago. This is from Kathy. She's listening on the Relevant Radio app, and she says, regarding the good thief on the cross, is it possible that he could have fulfilled his purgatory while hanging on the cross before he died? Thanks for your show, she says, and God bless you all. Well, it is possible, yes. So the penalty due to sin is paid for by Jesus and only Jesus. We can't do that for ourselves. But it's important to distinguish the penalty due to sin from the effects that are caused by sin in the temporal order. So all the sins that have been forgiven nonetheless have had side effects, and so penance is the way in which we mitigate or offset those side effects. Again, having nothing to do directly with the penalty due to sin, only Jesus can pay for that. So we're not paying for our sins when we do penance. We're not, we're not, you know, suffering for our sins instead of Jesus or anything like that. It's cleaning up the mess that our sins have made. And someone will say, "Yeah, but Jesus did that by his death on the cross." Well, not exactly. Let's say that you let's throw a dart here. Let's say that you commit a sin or sins of promiscuity with someone who's not your wife, let's say, or someone who's not your husband. And you wind up getting divorced. And then you come to your senses and you repent and you say, Lord, I'm really sorry, and you are really sorry, and you're truly forgiven by Jesus. You go to confession, you're sacramentally absolved from your sins, and Jesus has paid the price for your sin. Well, you're still divorced. You still ruined your marriage. You Maybe you got pregnant out of wedlock. Maybe you contracted an STD. Those things don't go away. And yes, Jesus did pay fully the price for your sins on the cross, but these are consequences of sin in the temporal order. These are the effects of sin. And maybe when you think of it that way, you can see that there's no contradiction in saying that Jesus paid the full price for my sin, because he did, if you're truly sorry. But these effects don't go away. Those are not removed by the Lord's death on the cross. Pregnancy out of wedlock, STD, ruined marriage, whatever, that kind of thing. So it is entirely possible that the sufferings, and I'm sure they were excruciating, that the good thief on the cross experienced right alongside Jesus, it could very well have been that the Lord applied that penance, one might say, suffering patiently, knowing that he would die soon, knowing that Jesus promised that he would go to paradise, the limbo of the fathers. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 16. He describes it for us. So in any case, yeah, the answer is yes. That could that could easily have been the expiation or the restitution for some of it. Is it possible that maybe there was some experience of intense suffering for a time before Jesus brought the good thief and the others who were waiting to heaven? Yeah, that's possible too. With God, anything is possible, as Jesus says. So thanks for that email. Uh, let's go to Karen now in Stillwater, Minnesota. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Patrick. Um, my question is regarding 
the bread of life discourse found in John's gospel. And I'm just wondering, given how important it is to our faith and especially to the Eucharist, why it is not found in the other gospels, particularly I'm thinking about Matthew's gospel, him being one of the 12 apostles, I would Mm -hmm. imagine he would be there when Jesus delivered the bread of life discourse. So, So that's my question. Yeah, so he would have been there, that's for sure. And it sounds like there's an echo. Do you have the radio on or something, or am I just hearing an echo? I don't know. I'm, in fact, I'm talking okay. on a landline. So. Okay, well, good. I'm not sure what, what the echo is from, but in any case, we'll we'll slog on. These are questions that ultimately I don't have an answer to. We can speculate as to why it is. Now, there's a school of thought in biblical studies that posits that that um, Mark's gospel was the first gospel, and the other synoptic gospels, Luke and Matthew, drew heavily upon Mark's gospel for theirs. Now, I don't hold that view personally. I hold the patristic view that Matthew's gospel came first. In fact, that Matthew's gospel was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic and then translated shortly thereafter into Greek. But one of the theories would say that these gospels borrowed from each other Matthew and Luke did from Mark. And in the case, and the reason that John's gospel is not considered a synoptic gospel is because his gospel approaches the issue of Jesus's ministry. First of all, he begins outside of time. It doesn't begin with his birth or the things leading up to his birth. It begins before the creation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus and his incarnation in verse 14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, He does not fit in the category, John, that is, does not fit in the category of the synoptic Gospels, which are seeing the the story of Jesus through these three different lenses, and this is why many of the same features appear in one or the other. But in the case of John's Gospel, we might say it's more theological than the others tend to be. So I don't have the answer. Why did not the Holy Spirit inspire St. Matthew to include the Bread of Life discourse? Uh, but he didn't. And, and I don't know exactly why that's the case. Maybe it's because the Holy Spirit thought it sufficient for us to have that information in the Gospel of John, perhaps. Uh, it's only in John's Gospel, by the way, in which it's recorded that Jesus gave his apostles the authority to forgive sins. That's in John 20. It's only there that we see that they were that Jesus breathed on them and gave them this power. Um, it's only there that we have the the discourse, the discussion between Nicodemus and Jesus about what is required to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's only there in John's Gospel in chapter two where we read about this first miracle of Jesus changing water into wine. And, I mean, there are other examples of this, but these come to my mind as examples where John includes certain details that are just not found in these other Gospels. Why is that? I don't know. We know that John was close to Our Lady, and although this doesn't touch directly upon the John chapter 6 issue of the Bread of Life discourse, I think one reason why the wedding at Cana features so pro- so prominently in John's Gospel is that he got this information from the Blessed Virgin Mother. One can, I think, reasonably presume. So that could be one reason to explain why some Gospels have information that's not found in others. Beyond that, I, I'll have to ask the Holy Spirit, because I don't have 
the answer. This is why we don't find it in, in his gospel. Does that help a little bit, Karen? Yes, it does. That helps a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. Good chatting. Uh, let's go to Cecilia now in Chandler, Arizona. Hi, hi, Cecilia. Hi, how are you, Patrick? Doing well, thank you. Great. Um, my question is, is my daughter was asked in Spanish class to do something called Eye of God, lowercase g. Okay. Being suspicious, let me know. And, and they do. They do a great job because they do go to public school. Okay. And I wanted to know your opinion if the school comes back to me on, like, well, why not? I've found some stuff online that it seems like it has to do with some sort of Native American culture, some sort of spirituality. And it's okay. not necessarily the eye of God, like Catholic version, I guess that's how you could say it. So just okay. wondering your opinion on if you've heard of that or what more you could tell me about that. Well, I'm not sure if I have. I mean, there has been around for a long time what's known as the all-seeing eye of God, and it's usually depicted. It's on, it's on our currency in the United States, for example. I, mm-hmm. I think it might be the one dollar bill. So it's it's a um, it's a triangle within which there is an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been adopted into Freemasonry as a symbol of Freemasonry, but I think it predates Freemasonry, and it's it's one way of depicting the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, seeing all, knowing all. So from a biblical standpoint, that would be entirely appropriate, entirely accurate, at least, as a way of depicting God. But those things can be used for other purposes or and invested with meanings that are different from the biblical meaning. So I don't know what specifically this eye of God thing is that they're doing. I don't know. Could it be um, the evil it, eye? Could it be a mm, talisman or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, it, it just... Yeah, I looked it up, and it said it was like you use popsicle sticks, and you use yarn, and there's different colored yarns, and it turns out to be a diamond. Okay. Well, I'm just ignorant of what this is exactly, so I can't give you an answer based because I don't know specifically about that. So it makes me think of the dream catcher, which is you know, very common in the Southwest in Native American areas. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I know a bishop very well who is a bishop in a diocese in the Southwest, and he says that Catholics should have nothing to do with dream catchers because mm-hmm. it's a it's part of the pagan aspect of some of these Native American religious beliefs, and it would be incompatible with Catholic teaching. So I trust him on that point. I don't know if this falls into that category or not. I just don't know okay. about it. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, and have a You're great welcome. day. You're welcome. Thanks, Cecilia. How about Jenny now in Coeur Idaho? Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Patrick. I just wanted to comment um, kind of as a encouragement for people to consider homeschooling. Okay. Um, I have eight kids, and for my first five kids, I really fought the culture at our local Catholic school um, to try to kind of try to write it a little bit. Okay. Once baby number six came, I just didn't have the fight in me any longer. And I became a very hesitant homeschooling parent. Um, but there's so many resources out there now, amazing resources online. Um, we were able to start a co-op locally where we encouraged, we tr- empowered the domestic church um, to lead the educational fight in their, for their children, we now have 20 families who said they would have never homeschooled. Mm. And 
we were able to support them to the point where they're now homeschooling families and just how beautiful that is. And even if you feel like you can't do that or you don't have that skill set, there's so many resources now um, to help support that, that fight. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. So your experience, so you were sort of the reluctant homeschooling mom is what I'm, what I'm in, mm-hmm. in, interpreting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you hoped that you could homeschool your kids, but once you started doing it, um, did you find that it was a lot less difficult than you thought it might be? Or what was your reaction to it once you started? I would say it, it was still a little bit difficult in that I had a lot of maybe anxiety and overwhelm around it. Um, but my children found that it was very easy. And once I started finding the support that I needed, uh, just as the, the mom in the situation, it became very beautiful and very restful. And now the thought of my kids going off to a school is what gives me anxiety. Like I yeah. want them home with me. I want them, you know, I want to be learning together with them. It became just this very beautiful. So at the beginning, there was a little bit of, you know, anxiety. But mm-hmm. once I started finding those supports, that quickly went away. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm glad it was a positive experience for you and the kids. So it sounds like they they appreciate the fact that you made that decision. Yes, most that's great. That's great. Well, I'm I'm happy yeah. for you, Jenny. That's great, and that's good encouragement. Thank you. You're welcome. Good chatting with you. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Let's go to Anna now in Indiana. Good morning, Anna. Uh, Good morning, Patrick. I have a quick question uh, for you. I recently got Invisalign, and for Sunday after I had it, I went to Mass with it in and went to receive the Eucharist, literally was in the line and realized it was in, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, so I, I received, um, so I cannot chew the host with Invisalign in, um, I, it just kind of dissolved on my tongue and I just wanted to know if that, you know, if I did something wrong. No, 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 no need to worry whatsoever. Uh, so wearing that type of thing is not, not a problem at all. And so I remember when I made my first Holy Communion, (laughs) I remember the nuns telling us, don't chew the host. Because that's Jesus. And I don't know if I misunderstood or misinterpreted, but whatever. I thought they were saying that if you chewed the host, that you would be hurting Jesus. Of course, that's obviously not true. And it took me a while before I realized that you can chew the host, you can let it dissolve in your tongue, you can, you know, either way is fine. There is no right way or wrong way. You can't hurt Jesus. And in your case, the Invisalign issue, has there's no bearing whatsoever were you thinking about it in terms of not eating before receiving communion? Was that the the idea? No, or what, actually, what no. It? It's it's just the scripture that I've heard. Um, you know, when when Jesus says, "Unless you eat of the flesh, the Son of Man." Okay, so that scripture that I have heard taught that that mm-hmm. word actually means like masticate, chew. Mm-hmm. And so gnawing. I'm like, well, I can't chew it. Yeah, gnawing. So I'm like, mm-hmm. that that's what came to my mind when I couldn't chew it. I thought, uh oh, my am I like is it a requirement that we're supposed to be able to chew it because of that verse? And since I can't, do I just have to take pains to remember to remove it before I ever get into the, you know, enter the church? That was where I got a little concerned. Right, right. No, I understand now. Okay, so no, it's not a mandate that you must chew the host. So the, the Greek word, as I recall, is trogon, and that means to gnaw or to chew. But it's not a 
It's not a requirement. And here's how you can tell that, because if you were to receive the Holy Eucharist in the form of just the precious blood, you receive our Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of wine. And you're not chewing the wine, and yet you're receiving it in a completely normal manner. So the the word that's used there doesn't mean you must chew this. It just means it's the word that was used when Jesus, in that place anyway, said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. So you don't have anything to worry about. You're okay, totally fine. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Have a good You're welcome, Anna. Good chatting with you, too. Thank you. Um, how about, let's see. Uh, I don't, well, let's give it a try. We'll see. Jerry in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Good morning. Hi, Patrick. Hi there. Am I on? Am I on? Yeah. Yeah. You and I are talking on the air right now. Okay. We have a a short window or brief window of opportunity though. Okay. My wife and I are practicing Catholics. I read Father Watson's two books, We Shall Ascend. I read Loretto Publishing, Vatican II, The Papal Bull, Excrabulous, Quo Premium, The Adivani Intervention, currently reading The River Flows into the, Rhine Flows into the Tiber. Mm-hmm. Father Rothen said that Novus Ordo is not the true Mass, and that we are committing a mortal sin by not attending the Latin Rite. My wife and I have been attending the Novus Ordo since V2. Based mm-hmm. on what I've read, I feel guilty and do not know what to do as to which Mass to attend and whether or not we should confess that we've been attending the wrong Mass. Okay. You have not been attending the wrong Mass. The Church has the authority to promulgate a rite of the Mass if it chooses to do so, and it did choose to do so. And people can dispute whether or not the new rite of the Mass is as beautiful or as theologically rich or as precise as the traditional Mass. I have some thoughts on that myself. But it doesn't touch at all upon the validity of the Mass itself. The Mass is valid. The new rite of the Mass is valid. So I have read a couple of the things that you're referring to, including the Rhine flows into the Tiber and one or two of the other ones you mentioned. Now, a couple of those are produced by Sede Vacantist authors, who are arguing that there is no true pope currently in the church, nor has there been a true pope, a validly elected pope. Variously, they'll say since Pope Pius XII. A few go back even further to Pope Pius XI. But I reject their thesis that the church has been, has been left without a shepherd, and that in spite of its many problems, that, the, that Vatican II uh, changed the Mass in such a way as to invalidate it. That is not true. So my advice, Jerry, would be for your own peace of mind, would be to stop reading those those books and things that are attacking the church, unless you have great theological background and you're able to sift through and see what's right and what's wrong, then I wouldn't read those mm-hmm. books because they're just going to confuse you as they already have. So no, you don't need to go to confession. I mean, you do need to go to confession, but not about this. This is not a sin. You are attending Mass as it was promulgated by that council, and there's no sin in that. You could prefer the traditional Mass. I I like the traditional Mass quite a bit myself. I try to attend when I can, which is not often. But you are in no way sinning at all if you are attending Mass at your local Catholic parish in the New Rite. All right, Pat. Thank you very much for your help. You're most welcome. Have a good day. I hope you'll be at peace on this, Jerry. Thank you. All right, quick timeout. We'll come right back. 
with more of the Patrick Madrid Show, where you participate by calling 888-914-9149, sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College's Free Principles Classes. Sign up for a free online class on Holy Scripture today at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Learn to read the Bible with the mind of the Church at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Keeping it relevant, it's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. I have a note here from Andy, who's listening in San Antonio. I'm a fighter fighter here, he says, in San Antonio. We work one 24-hour shift and then off 48 hours. So I work every third Sunday, and then I work the following Saturday, the next weekend, and get off on Sunday morning. So it is very easy to, to make Mass Saturday evening before the Sunday shift or when I get off on Sunday mornings. Do we have a voluntary, or we do have a voluntary overtime opportunity. Sometimes we can be ordered to work the shift that we get off on if manpower is needed, where we can put our name down to work overtime on the days that we want to work an extra shift. My question, he says, is if I work my Saturday shift and then work overtime on Sunday voluntarily, is that considered a mortal sin for missing mass obligation as I will not be able to get to Mass either day. Pretty sure about the answer, but I wanted to run it by you. Thanks for your time. So, yeah, I would look at it this way, Andy. Um, Overtime is voluntary on your part. Now, sometimes, as you say, they may call you in and you have to work, and you're not committing a sin if you're not able to get to Mass because of work demands. Uh, Maybe you're an obstetrician and you're delivering babies on a Sunday morning. So there are situations where your obligation is not um, possible. In this case, it seems that that's a question of, do you put God's law first and overtime second? And that's where I personally would have a bit of a scruple about this. So if you're taking overtime, it's voluntary, you don't have to do it, but you do it and you're making the extra bucks, but you're also missing mass, then I would say that's on you because you could go to Mass, and you should go to Mass, but you don't because when you think about it, you're putting the money as something more important than God. I hate to put it that way, but that's what it looks like to me. So I think in a situation like that, in my conscience, if I were in your situation, I would see that as a sin. So maybe what you can do is negotiate with your uh, your people and find out, you know, just say, listen, I need to go to church on Sunday. I could do it Saturday evening or I could do it Sunday morning. Can I start my shift after the 7 a.m. Mass? And I don't know when your shift begins or ends, but let's just say, can I push the start of my shift forward by an hour or two hours so that I can go to Mass? I'd be surprised if your, you know, your supervisor said, no, we can't do that. I, I mean, there's there's probably a workaround. And if I were in your situation, that's what I would try to do. Now, if the the answer was no, you have to start your shift at 5 in the morning, and of course there's no Mass available at 5 in the morning, and you can't get to Mass the night before, then 
again, just speaking for myself, my conscience, I would say, well, then I, I won't take the overtime on sa- on Sunday because God is the priority and I need to go to Mass. And if I can't work it out so that I can go to Mass, then I'll have to forego the overtime. So that would be my advice. Now, I'll just give you a little story here. I heard this from Father Rocky. And I was impressed by it when I first heard it. He was in, he was, um, he was talking with a man who is going, a wealthy, well-to-do guy who is going to fly his whole family up to some really cool fishing area in Alaska and charter a plane, fly him in there with all the camping gear, set up shop, camp fish, the whole thing. And he mentioned to Father Rocky, well, you know, I, we're not going to be able to go to Mass because there's no church anywhere near her. The closest church is 300 miles away. What should I do? And Father Rocky's answer was, well, you're, you're paying all the money to fly there, right? Yeah. And why don't you pay the money to fly to the place where Mass is and go to Mass and then fly back to your fishing hole site? And I think the man's reaction was something like, well, that would be expensive. And Father Rocky said, well, aren't you shelling out quite a bit of money to go on this fishing trip in the first place? You're spending a lot of money to go do that. And obviously the answer to the question was, you know, what is your priority? So it turns out that uh, the man did exactly that. He followed Father Rocky's suggestion and he chartered a plane to fly his whole family, excuse me, 300 miles away to go to Mass and then flew back to the fishing hole. So he was able to get the fishing in and he met his Sunday obligation. And I thought that was very impressive because to me, that's the right way to go about it. Where is your priority? Let's go to Tom now in Kentucky. Thank you for your patience, Tom, and, and welcome. Um, hi, Patrick. I just uh, wanted to make a comment. I was listening in earlier, and I heard the comment about why don't the uh, why doesn't the Catholic Church just call the Protestants heretical and be done with it? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to call and say uh, I am a Protestant um, from a long line of Protestants, but I enjoy listening to your show. Um, I find it uplifting. Thank you. And I think that um, um, just from my point of view, I think that kind of talk um, is the kind of talk that we had 500 years ago when we had the 30 years war and lots of people getting killed. And um, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to call and tell you, I really appreciate the format of your show and the gentleness that you use. And uh, I just really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate hearing that from you, Tom. Thank you. Um, so I understand we have our differences, and that's okay. It means a lot to me that you are willing to at least listen. I mean, that says a lot of good about you, that you're open-minded and willing to listen. Not everybody is. Yeah, well, so, you know, some of the people I hang around with have a, uh, a really poor view of the Catholic Church, but um, that's actually what caused me to start listening, because I thought, well, you know, mm-hmm. a huge group of people just can't be, can't be that bad. So then you start listening and you start realizing that, you know, even the things we disagree with, the, uh, uh, first of all, the Catholic Church has a reason. You know, it's not just people make things up, right. um, you know, praying to Mary or whatever. Um, there's a reason for that. But secondly, um, you know, we agree on a lot of things. And the spirit of love, mm-hmm. I think, is um, foremost in that. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you saying so, Tom. In my experience, too, probably more Protestant folk than than not 
feel more like your friends do. You know, there's a, an animus against the Catholic Church, and, you know, it is long-standing, and the polemic seems to never end, but I'm glad that you're open-minded and willing to listen. I do appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, Tom, before you go, if you don't mind, just as a parting gift, if you are at all interested, I would be happy to send you a copy of a book that I think would be good, some good food for thought. And there's no obligation, no salesman will call, no strings attached. But if you're so inclined, just stay on the line when we say goodbye. Don't hang up. And young Thomas will pick up. And whatever address you'd like this book sent to, I'll have it sent to you. And again, no strings attached. Just something that I can do for you by way of food for thought. All right. Thanks, Patrick. Okay, you got it. So don't hang up, and young Thomas will pick up. Thank you, Tom. Let's go to Billy now in Kendallville, Indiana. I hope I'm saying the name right. Welcome, Billy. How's it going, Patrick? Doing pretty well. I just want to know, uh, people, like he was talking about people, y'all pass the Protestants a lot, but there's like three or four um, points I can bring up that y'all go totally against the Bible. I, like I mean, one, I did, maybe I didn't hear you earth. right. Did you say that, that I bash Protestants a lot? No, I just heard a lot from your uh, callers, I'd say. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. But like I said, once it's don't build treasures on earth, yeah, the Vatican has thousands or actually millions of dollars worth of treasures in it that he's storing up here on earth. Mm -hmm. Matthew 6. Mm -hmm. Okay. It says don't call anyone father except for the father in heaven, which is Matthew 23. Mm -hmm. It also says don't confess... Uh, yeah, don't confess to anybody in you know anybody else but Jesus. He's the mediator between God and us, not a guy in a box. Well, you know that in James chapter five it says confess your sins to one another. You know that, right? Yes. Okay. So it doesn't only say confess your sins to the Father. It also says in James two to confess your sins to one another. But, but does it say your your friend can can forgive you for your sins? No, it does. Only Jesus yeah. can. No, it certainly says that, Billy. In John chapter 20, you can begin reading in verse 20, Jesus breathes on the apostles and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. He who sins you forgive are forgiven them, and he who sins you hold bound are held bound. That's where he established, yeah, the, sacrament of, that's where he established the sacrament of confession. Yeah, I forgive, I forgive a friend for doing something wrong to me. Yeah, that kind of, but he can't forgive your sins and get you to heaven. Sure he can. Jesus gave them the power to do so. He breathed on them no, and gave them his power. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's totally wrong. No, but it's anyway, not. And also too. Well, okay, no, anyway, I mean let's. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. I mean, I mean, this is the old proverbial. Let's throw as much mud against the wall and see what sticks. I mean, let let's dig no, down into fine. some of these issues. So let's okay. take a look at James chapter two to go back to that one because you're talking about confessing of sins. So when, uh, James chapter 5, forgive me, I misspoke. So in James chapter 5, where it talks about, is one among you sick, let him summon the priests of the church, the presbyters of the church. And it says, and this is in verse 14, is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The power of a righteous man, the prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effect. So, I mean, you may disagree with the Catholic Church on this issue, but the Bible is clear 
that this ministry of the elders, the presbyters, that it involves the forgiveness of sins. It's right there in black and white. Yeah. Well, and also, too, y'all dress like the, the Pharisees with the robes and the chanting and all that. I mean, who follows, you got to look at who follows the who follows Jesus Where does it closer? say that the Pharisees chanted? Where is that in the Bible? No, but y'all do. I've heard your radio before. Yeah, but where does it say in the Bible that the Pharisees chanted? Okay, they might not, but still, y'all do some weird chants. Well, okay, um, but if you're trying to make a point from the Bible, I'm afraid you're not successful, Billy, because the Bible doesn't say well, that fine. the Pharisees chanted. That's fine. Y'all still do weird chants, almost like a cult. That's what's weird about it. Yeah. Okay, well, we, I, I'm, this is like a bowling alley, Billy. You set them up, and I'll knock them down all day long. Well, you know, set them up, and I'll knock them down, you know, because I've got the Bible on my side, Billy. I do. Yeah, you're going to go to hell with the rest of the Catholics. You think so? Yeah, I know so. 100%. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Okay, then why the Pope, well, the why the Pope do a peace treaty over in, in Dubai with the Muslim, with the Muslims and the Jews calling it, well, why y'all even call yourselves Christians? For thousands of years you never call yourself Christians. Really? Except for until now. Also now you want to call yourself Christians. No, sir. No, no, no. You go back into the the writings of the no, early no, no. church you're always and, Catholic. and and you'll see that this no. is a, well. Hang on, Billy. You'll see that in the writings of the early church fathers, the original Catholics, they routinely called themselves Christians. This is not something new. Did, God, did, did Jesus pray to anybody else but to God? Did he pray to Mary? Did he pray to the saints? No. He didn't need to. No, he's God Himself. And didn't plus, need you're to. a saint whenever you're when you're a saint whenever you're saved. You can't just make somebody a saint like y'all try to do all the time. Well, you're using the term saint in a particular way. We use it the same way in the Catholic Church, that if you are a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, Billy, uh, then you are a saint in the New Testament sense of the word. That's true. But we also use the term in a particular sense to refer to certain people that we know are in heaven. We use putting it that way, too. Putting someone on a pedestal. Putting someone on a pedestal. I understand that. Yeah, kind of like what Jesus says in John chapter 17, where he says, Father, I have given them the glory that you have given to me. So Jesus there referring to that pedestal. Yeah, that's all biblical. You, you, what else have you got, Billy? Hit me. Come on, you man. Under, you, you do understand that y'all are going to be with the Antichrist, and y'all will be either begging for God to save you or having your heads chopped off. Because you're Oh, no, no, Billy. Well, I might get my head chopped off in the process if the beast decides to rise during our lifetime. But no, I love Jesus. I trust in Jesus for my salvation. So I have no worries about No, about No that. Catholic is saved. Yeah, that's what you say, Billy. None. That's what you say. Tell me where the Bible says that. Tell me where the Bible says no Catholic is saved. <laughs> every single, it's not going to say Catholic. Do you go by the Bible alone, Billy? Goes, everything that y'all do goes totally against God. So believing in Jesus and trusting him in him for my salvation goes totally against God? Y'all don't, y'all, y'all, okay, like you said, Christ on the cross. He's off the cross. He's not on the cross no more. Yeah, St. Paul says that I, I come among you and want to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. You can twist the Bible however you want to. You know, I'm the only one quoting the Bible, Billy. For some strange reason, you're not quoting the Bible. I am. That's because I'm at work, and I'm sitting here in a truck, and I don't have a uh, Bible's over there, and I can't okay. look it up as fast right now. But, oh, that's a you know, you can do You can do what you do, you know what I mean? Because I know where I'm going, and I know where you're going. I bet you do, Billy. And you know what Jesus says? On that day, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, 
didn't we do mighty deeds in your name? And didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do all these things in your name? And he'll say, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what Catholics I command you? Catholics cast out demons, don't they? Catholics cast out the demons. Hmm, well, God say, I never knew you. You're well, right. what I'm saying, Billy, is take care lest you fall, because you think that, that something is so, and it may not be so, and your misunderstanding of the Catholic Church is pretty blatant based okay, on what well, you're saying. Okay, let me saying. ask you this. Okay. Okay, then how can you lose your salvation as a Catholic? Because St. Paul says you can lose your you salvation. Can't. Yes, you can. In Ephesians, Ephesians 6, it says that you are sealed by the Holy Ghost, by God, right. until, until your inheritance, which is heaven. Which means right. you can't lose your salvation. Cannot. Yes, you can. Yes, you can lose your salvation. <laughs> you, can. you cannot. Hear me out, okay? In Romans chapter 11, let's take a look at Scripture here. Romans chapter 11, St. Paul talks about the salvation of the Jews as a cultivated olive tree. And he's preaching here to to the Gentiles. And he says about this tree that its branches were broken off. This is verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive branch, were grafted in their place to share in the richness. So he says, do not boast over the branches, talking about those who lost their salvation. And he concludes by saying that we should note, in verse 22, note the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, otherwise you too will be cut off. So he warns them that they can lose their salvation. Nope. Yep. Cannot, nope. I mean, I'll pray nope. for y'all because I know you're going to hell, but you cannot yeah. lose your salvation. Here's the thing, Billy. You, you need to learn this lesson. Um, just by saying nope, that doesn't it make it true or, or false. It takes it away back. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you Can't got cut off there for a second. Just because you say nope doesn't mean that what you're saying is right. Just because you say it's right doesn't mean it's right. You, you can okay. quote the Bible however you want to. That's- oh, no, I'm not choosing the Bible at all. I'm just quoting what the Bible says. I'll, I'll give you one parting thought here, Billy. Uh, I am glad you called. I really would hope you call again. So please consider yourself as having an open invitation here. Think about this, Galatians 5, 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You can't fall away from grace unless you first had grace, unless you were first saved. And you can't be severed from Christ unless you were first united to him. Okay, but if you go with that Bible, what you just read, it says, if you follow the law. I'm saved by grace, which actually y'all kicked Martin Luther out of your church for that, and the other 90 things that he wrote and pinned on your wall. And now you call him a heretic. He's not a- well, we're, we're jumping around here, Bill. All of those things jumping around there. Um, I have to take a break. I'm actually five minutes overdue for a break. But Go here's ahead, the thing. I'll pray for you. you have a, please do, and I'll pray for you. You have a standing oh, I invitation. because you're going to need it. You call me up anytime, Billy, and we'll get into it. You and I me. Will. Okay. I will. You and me, Billy. You, me, and the Bible. It's going to be fun. Billy hung up on me. Okay. That's the way the cookie crumbles right here on the Patrick Madrid Show, and I'll be right back. Ibo, Ibo, knockout. Game over, man.
But when will the Catholic Church get with the times, some people say. Kale Clark. Well, the Catholic Church isn't concerned about getting with the times, as Peter Kreeft has said so well. The Church doesn't read the times. She reads the eternities. She's concerned about the end times and your eternal soul. She is only concerned with saving your soul and mine. She has no authority to change the teachings of her Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Now, other Christian communities think they have the authority to change those teachings of Jesus. And the irony is that people are always complaining the Catholic Church is constantly trying to impose its authority over my life. The Catholic Church actually claims to have far less authority than these other groups do. The Catholic Church is the faithful spouse who will never commit spiritual contraception or divorce by imbibing the potions of our age, changing our Lord's teachings to suit the ways of the world. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio. Thanks to network sponsor PushPay. PushPay offers parishes a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load, and much more. Info at relevantradio.com slash pushpay. That's relevantradio.com slash pushpay. Well, that's appropriate. I remember this song from the 70s. Well, maybe not all the words. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show. No scripture twisting allowed here, may I say to you. Uh, let's go to Randall now in Alvin, Texas. Hello, Randall. Hello. Yes, sir. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm doing okay. I, I, had a, I had a question uh, about the previous caller. Um, or oh, Billy. Just with how, we're, how we're divided right now as a, as a nation, and especially in the religious world, and especially Catholic versus Baptist, or however it goes down. Like I, I always find it interesting if... If you truly are in the Word, how can there be such divisiveness uh, with with the last caller? You know, uh, it, it just it's perplexing to me. Well, yeah, I mean, and and if so, could could you give some more scripture to me, like where I could go to find that peace? Sure, the peace that surpasses all all understanding, as Jesus described. Let me come back to that in just a minute. You're asking about the division. Well, there is certainly, clearly, in the call that I just took, a lot of misunderstanding on Billy's part. Um, Bill Moody, one of our Charter Team Taco members, he said on Twitter, Billy is a personification of Bishop Sheen's comment that only five people in America hate the Catholic Church, but millions hate what they think the Catholic Church is. I agree with you, Bill. It seems to me, Randall, that without being willing to stop and listen and think about what's being said and check with the scriptures as the Bereans did, that it would be almost impossible for somebody who has inherited a deep and entrenched hatred for the Catholic Church to overcome that. The only way to overcome things like that is to be willing to listen and think about it. And I don't think that conversation with Billy would really exemplified listening, you know, so what would you do? What I would suggest that you do, if you're thinking about this, Randall, would be, number one, have your Bible in one hand, the New Testament, what Jesus and the Apostles said, and then look at the Catholic case for whatever it may be, the Catholic case for 
Mary, the Catholic case for the Eucharist, the Catholic case for salvation, etc. And there are good books that talk about that. So you can check it every step. And if you're looking for a kind of peace that comes from certitude, is that what you're referring to when you talk about peace, kind of finding yeah. a sense of certitude? Okay. Mm-hmm. That would be my my approach to it, so that you could verify at every step, you know, is this what the Catholic Church really teaches? Does the Catholic Church really say that we should be worshiping Mary? Of course it doesn't, but I'm pretty sure Billy doesn't realize that. Um, yeah. Does the Catholic Church really say that you can earn your salvation? No, it doesn't. But I'll bet people like Billy think that it does. So that's why I'm proposing have good Catholic sources. Um, Catholic Answers is a good resource. They have a lot of good materials and tracts and articles and books and things. Their website is catholic.com. That'd be one example. But have your Bible right there so you can check everything. And what you'll see, as countless other people have seen, is once you are willing to look at it and and really see what the Catholic Church teaches, people realize, oh, this is not what I thought the Catholic Church really was. And very often they wind up becoming Catholic. That's not uncommon. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I'm, I'm just very happy to hear your show. I, I really like the way you, you, uh, you handle yourself, and just one of the first shows I tuned in to listen to, where the, I, you do have a, a very listening ear, and it's very refreshing, very well, refreshing, you, and I, I commend you on. Uh, the service that you're doing, and I truly appreciate it. You're most welcome, Randall. And if it's if it's of interest to you, and I emphasize no con- no um, strings attached, no obligation on your part or anything, but if you'd like me to send you a free copy of a book I think will give you further food for thought, I'll be more than happy to do it. If you want to stay on the line, young Thomas will pick up and just, you tell him whatever address you want it to go to, and that's where it'll go, okay? Sure, I t- thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you, Randall. Call again, please. And so, young Thomas, pick up with Randall, please, and we'll get that info, and I'll make sure he gets a copy of the book. Uh, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go with Will in California. Hello, Will. Hi, Patrick. Hello, Will. I just yeah. had two, two points in reference to the call from Billy. I don't think he's actually praying, uh, or it's uh, just a, uh, something he says. Uh, he's praying for Catholics, but he says we're damned. I, I think if he believes in the, his version of the Bible, one, uh, you know, that uh, if we're damned, then, then his prayers aren't going to help because we're not saved. But, you know, mm-hmm. all of his points reminded me of a CD I got several years ago through Relevant or Immaculate Heart Radio. And uh, all of his points, I think, were were what addressed in his uh, CDs to help uh, people realize the truth of the Catholic faith. There's so much out there, uh, Will, to your point. There's so much information and so many ways in which we can make the case for the Catholic Church. As long as someone's willing to at least consider it, that's half the battle right there. So He was not listening to anything. Like you said, his... uh, it, it's that would be a hard, uh, hard heart to soften. So we pray that uh, I think there will be more people praying for Billy than um, than what Billy will be praying for. So we pray <laughs> that he uh, he needs to, he needs to get one of the free books. 
<laughs> you know, I would be happy to send him one. I just, he hung up before it was all over. So exactly. I have a feeling that it was a frustrating experience for him and I don't want him to go yeah. away angry, but well, I, I hope he, he does. Did. I hope he does call back. I hope he's one of your frequent callers. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. Well, thanks, Will. I appreciate that. Um, we, we don't have enough time to go to another phone call, but I will say we got a lot of emails just now about Billy's call. Um, Carmen in Kissimmee, Florida says to Billy, Martin Luther, he was a man, not the son of man. Uh, he is not talked about in the Bible, brother. Nope. Where, where's the miracle? I can't fully understand the point of what you're saying, but uh, Carmen is saying that she appreciated the phone call and she's glad that Bill, Billy called. I'm glad that he called too. Uh, let's see. Sherry says, if you can't lose your salvation, how can Catholics go to hell, Billy? Well, I'm sure he would have an answer for that, but I see your point, Sherry. Thank you. Um, Charlotte, listening in Minneapolis, says, I loved the call from Billy. I am a Protestant, and many of my acquaintances sound like Billy. I'll re-listen so I can write down the Bible verses you're quoting against his arguments. I think that's a great idea, Charlotte. Thank you. And thanks for listening. We really value the fact that it's not just Catholics who listen to this program. We have LDS listeners, Protestant listeners, atheist listeners. I know this because I hear from you, and I'm most grateful to you. So thank you for that, Charlotte. Appreciate that. <laughs> Michael, internet, listening on the internet, his response was, time for the duct tape. We didn't have time for it, unfortunately, but I get what you're saying. Thank you for that. Until next time, I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. That goes for you, Billy. Please pray for me. And that's the way it is.